Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains, mental health, and disabilities, and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and television editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast and from where you are listening are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place of diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here together. We continue to learn about the history that came before us and encourage you to do the same. Our guest, Ray McDaniel, is a non-binary speaker, author, therapist, certified sex therapist, coach, and transgender diversity and inclusion educator. Ray helps audiences gain the sheer audacity to be themselves in the world through play, pleasure, and possibility. Their book, Gender Magic, is a first-of-its-kind practical guide to achieving gender freedom with joy, curiosity, and pleasure for transgender and non-binary individuals, gender explorers, and those who love them. In this episode, we talk about gender identity, exploration, expression, and freedom, and how your mental health is overwhelmingly better when you can authentically be yourself. We also discuss shows like Pose, Sense8, The Politician, and Mae Martin's Feel Good that include or showcase stories of transgender and non-binary individuals and explore the impact of that representation. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, Ray. Ray, welcome to Brains. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. We're very excited to have you here with us. And to kick things off, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Ray McDaniel. I am a gender and sex therapist based out of Chicago. I own a practice called Practical Audacity that focuses on serving the LGBTQ community there. I'm also a professional speaker and the author of Gender Magic. Which I love. Over the years, I have been exploring my own sexuality and some of the stuff that you shared about how to like unpack things internally like really hit home for me on that side of things as well. I was like, wow, I wish I read this book like four years ago. This is so (laughs) wonderful. So I think it's a great service to many people in many different stages of life. Thank you. Thank you. And part of the reason I wrote Gender Magic is because I wish I had this book four years ago. Um, but yeah, it, the the sneaky bit of gender magic is that so much of it is applicable to things beyond gender, like sexuality and I don't know, life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My husband and I often have disagreements whenever he asks me to do things that are like often gendered tasks. I will mm-hmm. refuse to do them. Like, I don't want to be like, put it in a box. And then sometimes like, I just need your help. Oh, okay. I'll do that then. <laughs> it's a different vibe. But it's a different yeah. vibe. And so I, I appreciated that too of like, I think it benefits everyone to have these conversations and exploration. So this is a great segue to the next question, which is please tell us more about your book. Why did you decide to write it? And what are your hopes for it? Ooh, such juicy questions. So Gender Magic is a a practical guide to achieving gender freedom for gender explorers, trans and non-binary folks, and those who love them. And at its core is this idea that we can view gender exploration simply as part of self-growth for everyone, not just trans and non-binary folks, but for all of us, since gender has really impacted us all in so, so many ways since before we are born. And there's some fun research studies around that as well. Why I decided to write it. So I've been working with trans folks for over 10 years now. I'm a non-binary person myself. And I found as I was working with folks as a therapist and as a coach that I wasn't seeing in the literature, so in research studies or in books or even in media, a lot of things around the positive side of of being trans and the joy that can come and the pleasure that can come from being yourself authentically in the world. Everything that I was reading was about the struggles of transgender individuals, which is so valid. We could talk ad nauseum, which I won't, at the current political moment that we're in. We cannot sweep those things under the rug. And there's a big and. 
I, in my own transition and in the lives of my clients, I was seeing people make these discoveries and live their lives in a much different way that was more joyful, that was full of pleasure, that was full of connection. And I wanted that side of the story. And I also wanted to take those moments and figure out, well, how can we introduce skills to help trans and non-binary folks and those exploring gender access joy, curiosity, and pleasure earlier in their transition journey. My ultimate hope of hopes is that this will act, and this is a big hope, is that gender magic will shift the narrative about how we think about and how we talk about gender exploration and transition. Again, for trans and non-binary folks, but really for everybody. Um, that's the hope of hopes in there. The feedback that I've been getting has honestly been so heartwarming. It is. I just got an email this morning, and I'm I'm continuing to getting more and more communications like this of people who read the book and are like, "Wow, this really impacted me in this huge way." And here's how: I think I'm getting a lot of feedback where folks are feeling more possibility for themselves and for their life, where they feel like they have more permission to explore themselves in a new way, and where they are not apologizing anymore for being trans or exploring gender and recognizing that that is not a burden on other people. That is simply you being yourself in the world. It's making me (laughs) – Gave me goosebumps. I I mean, it's – I've definitely cried. I've definitely cried several times and Every time I get feedback like that, I'm like, okay, this was worth it. Mm-hmm. That yeah. all the time that I spent creating this book and putting it out into the world, like worth it, done. My job is done. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I love science and I loved all the science parts and I like actually re-listened to it too because I was like, I'm going to go back one more time and just get all these bits because <laughs> I'm like, you know, how it progresses and how we have to think about shifting our thoughts of how things are. And then what things can be, and that there are is actual scientific basis behind everything as well. And so, um, it's just about shifting um, very old literature that we have. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a nerd as well, so I had a lot of fun diving into research studies and figuring out how to apply them in this new way, and introducing people to some of my favorites. As this show uh, also talks about film and television, um, I know that you mentioned in. Your book shows like Pose, Sense8, and The Politician. And then we've thrown in May Martin's Feel Good. Um, so they include or showcase stories of transgender and non-binary individuals. So in your perspective, what is the impact of this representation? And then what would you like to see more of? I think shows like this are huge, huge. And one of the things I love most about Sensate is that the show is largely not about the transgender character's transgender identity. Um, It's brought in in places, absolutely. But most of the time, she's just a woman existing in the world. And I love that. And I think shows like Pose, they, they do focus a lot on the suffering of a particular time period. And I think that story and hearing that story is incredibly important for folks because that history often gets erased. And yes, there is a lot of suffering in that show, but there's also a lot of joy. There's also a lot of connection and trans folks just living their lives. Shows like Feel Good that are telling stories of trans and non-binary characters, but that's not the only point of it. I think the more that we are normalizing seeing trans and non-binary folks in film, in TV, the more that becomes simply a part of our culture. And I think media often is at the forefront of cultural shifts and can even bring in cultural shifts. So I think the more that we are are having characters that are complex, that are not just focused on the transgender person who is the sex worker who was murdered in Law and Order, which has been such a trope, or movies that are all about kind of the horror story or suffering, the more we're able to expand to, okay, but also 
what about the joy? But also, what about complex characters that are heroes, that are villains, that are everything in between, just like cisgender folks? I think the the cultural impact of that cannot be understated. Um, and what I hope for is, I mean, exactly what I've said, I want more shows where there are complex characters, where trans folks are shown to have joy and live their lives and not every plot line is about their trans identity. I've been also loving lately a lot of trans actors that they're actors, period, right? They're in mm-hmm. shows just playing a part. Like they're not just being cast because they're they're trans, which is good that that is now happening, that trans people are playing trans characters, but now there's actors that are just playing whatever part it is. And it's not about their transness. And I think that that's been a big shift. And I that's really, really awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, for years, we've had cisgender actors who have played transgender characters. Yeah. And I think it makes sense to have trans characters who are also playing cisgender characters. A hundred percent. I feel like we're maybe on the, we're, we're shifting that now. I could go on and on. But I love that idea of of seeing the joy. And so I want to ask you, you you do have this lens of joy when you're exploring gender. So what was your journey like to kind of make that shift to, to look at it with joy? You know, it's really interesting. And I talk a, a bit about my journey in gender magic. My journey to my non-binary identity was very gentle. So I didn't have a ton of body dysphoria, and I'm very privileged in that way, um, that I, I didn't ever hate my body. There were things about it that I didn't love, um, and eventually I got top surgery, but not from a place of, I hate myself and therefore I'm going to change myself. It was always a movement towards, I think I will feel better if I uh, explain my identity in this way, if I use this name, if I use these pronouns, if I get top surgery, if I start... HRT, I will feel better, but not coming from a place of, I feel so terribly awful about myself now. And I saw that reflected in some, not all of my clients' journeys, certainly not, um, but some of them I saw this reflected as well. And so for me, gender magic and the gender freedom model I talk about within gender magic was a reflection of okay, well, I am feeling a dissonance between this typical narrative that we're hearing and my experience and also the experience of many of my clients. Mm. So what is the gender freedom model and how does that way of looking at gender differ from other practices? So the gender freedom model is a, a new model of how to think about gender and how to move through gender exploration. So it focuses on three pillars, which are also the, the pillars of gender magic, which are play, pleasure, and possibility. So I'm also a, a sex therapist. And so, of course, I talk about pleasure quite a bit in my work and relationships and connection, because I think that is such a foundation of, of everything else is to figure out how to find your people, figure out what relationship styles feel good to you, and how do you introduce more pleasure into your life right now, no matter where you are at in your journey one way that we do that is through play. You know, a lot of folks were coming to me and it felt like gender exploration and transition became such a a big deal with a capital B to them. It, it felt so heavy. And I wanted to introduce what happens if we bring in elements of play and come from a place of curiosity versus a place of pressure? How can we experiment and play around with things that we we might want to change in our lives versus feeling like there is this proscribed path of A to B and B has to look this one particular way? And then lastly, the last pillar is possibility. Because what I noticed, and this should not be a surprise to anybody, when you are able to authentically be yourself in the world or more authentically be yourself in the world, whatever that looks like to you, the rest of your life starts to change because you have more brain space. 
You also have developed skills around boundaries, around self-esteem, self-efficacy, self-love. Your mental health is generally better. I mean, so many studies, an overwhelming amount of studies have said this. This is not um, a question of whether mental health is overwhelmingly better after someone is has transitioned or is exploring gender. And the way I like to describe it as, as different from other models is that many other models are stage-based, right? You, you do this, and then you do this, and you do this. You explore internally, you explore externally, and then you go into the pride and um, kind of post-transition, using air quotes for all the listeners out there. <laughs> um, and I think that is useful in some ways, and that definitely fits some people's narrative. But I wanted to expand the conversation, and I describe the gender freedom model as not Google Maps that's going to say, like, <laughs> go here and take a right and then take a, a left and then you have arrived. It's more <laughs> of what I describe as a travel log, mm. that idea of reading a book about somebody who has gotten lost in a city and is not mad about it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What are mindsets? What are ways that we can embrace the journey as well as the destination? And what are ways that we can say, well, maybe we don't know what the destination is. And that's also okay and part of the adventure. Oh, that messaging of of curiosity and, and joy. And again, like we had said earlier, it can relate to any part of life that any journey you're taking and the idea of how much space some of the stuff the the big the big what did you say the big b yeah <laughs> like b big with a big b when that space gets released it is like whoa what can i do with life now so that yeah that model is oh so good <laughs> thank you <laughs> can we chat a little bit about stigmas that are enforced via you know society and like how does that impact people across the whole spectrum of gender I would love to tell you about a couple of my favorite studies. One is simply there is a study that was done that said if you tell somebody that a pregnant person is carrying a boy or a girl, that person will talk to that pregnant person's belly differently. What? They will use different language. They will use a different tone of voice. So when I say that gender impacts us from before we are born, I mean that quite literally yeah. wow. in terms of how people talk to us, in terms of how people perceive us. My other favorite study, which I talk about in Gender Magic, is if you can imagine a dog agility course, okay, mm -hmm. with the <laughs> like the hoops and the the little ladder things, except for babies. <laughs> It's just hilarious to me. So they had this this ladder kind of thing and small children, like baby babies, would need to kind of crawl up this incline and then crawl down it. And they asked the parents to rate what they thought the kids or how they thought the kids would perform on confidence. So how, how confident did they feel going up and down? Were they scared, et cetera? And competence. So mm. how quickly could they do it? At what inclines were they able to do it? And they found that the parents almost across the board underestimated the girl's confidence and their competence. Wow. So these are like under the age of two. Wow. So when we think about stigmas, we are, are talking about quite literally what people think you can accomplish mm -hmm. and what people think you are, are confident about, what they think you are, are able to confidently do and how you show up in the world. And of course, this extends to so many things and we could sit here and name them <laughs> yes. all day long. Um, but we have this idea in our culture of this is what masculinity is. This is what femininity is. And those things belong to the sex that you were assigned at birth, right? You are masculine if you were, were assigned male at birth. You were feminine if you were assigned female at birth. And what what a loss. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'll tell you a story to illustrate that too. I, I have a, a friend who's a, a 
white, cisgender, straight guy. We've been friends for years and years and years. He has two younger daughters. One's probably around seven. He had a date night with one of them and she wanted to put makeup on him. And he's telling me this story and he's like, yeah. And she put makeup on me and it was great fun. And then we like washed it off and we like had a great time on this little daddy daughter date. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I just want to pause there because do you know how many dads would not have let their seven-year-old put makeup on them because it threatened their masculinity? And all of them would have missed out on this really fun, beautiful daddy-daughter date night connection point Mm -hmm. simply because their masculinity was threatened. And what a shame. Yeah. What a shame. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm talking about gender freedom, I'm not talking about erasing gender, but I am talking about how can we very intentionally engage with how we want to show up in the world? How can we kind of decouple Mm -hmm. our gender identity from these expectations of masculinity and femininity named as such? And actually say, okay, well, I am a cisgender man, but do I want my daughter to put makeup on me right now? Yeah. Does it mean anything about my gender identity? No. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, I think if we tell these stories of joy and tell these stories of embracing just experiences in life and being curious instead of feeling that this is a set thing that I need to be or do. So how do, you know, the sharing of these stories, how are they helpful to those exploring their gender and looking at like who, where do I want to be? Well, I think stories are are our lifeblood. You know, y'all talk so much about media and TV. That's story, right? As humans, we are are drawn to story. Before we had written language, it's how we conveyed our culture, our values, our history to each other. So I think there is something within us as humans that will always respond to story and where story is particularly meaningful and not only understanding history, values, culture, but in understanding and even narrating our own story. Mm. Mm. it's, It's very hard to narrate a story for ourselves if we have never heard that story elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that it is not a an unusual statement to make to your your listenership <laughs> or to you. Um, but I think it applies so much here is the more that we are telling diverse stories about gender identity, about gender exploration, about gender expression, right? Just simply how we choose to show up in the world, the more we are opening up possibilities for other people to say, oh, I see myself in this story, or I see myself Mm -hmm. in this one, and this resonates, or this resonates. And that, that changes things, not only for that individual, but collectively. Yeah. I've experienced that watching stuff. So it's, it's amazing. Um, Something that I thought was really interesting in your book, you referenced TV shows like Squid Game and The Hunger Games as games that people are playing in the show, and then they become the hero when they stop playing the game. And you related that to gender, and I just thought it was really a really interesting way of kind of capturing it. So I was wondering if you could share that with us. Yes, absolutely. So all of those shows and, or movies are about a character is put in an intractable situation that they cannot get out of. There is no way to win the game that they have been put into. There is no way to truly win Squid Game because you're murdering other people. Um, (laughs) There's no way to win Hunger Games. Same reason. Um, There's no way to win at the Matrix if you are within the Matrix. You have to step outside of it in order to have the perspective to see other possibilities. And so I think when we're applying that to gender and gender exploration, I think we get sold a narrative of, well, this is the way it has to be. You were assigned this at birth, and then this is your life path from here on out. The only way that we are able to win, quote unquote, at that game is to recognize that the game as how it is set up 
our system of gender and the ways in which it is policed mm-hmm. and the and, and that's culturally and actually policed. Yes. Um, yeah. Literally and figuratively. There is no way to win that if we are saying we're going to exist within that framework. The only way to quote unquote win that game is to say this framework that we have, this binary gender system and the ways that we police it in our world is actually not useful Mm -hmm. and is not relevant to a lot of people's experience. And therefore, we are going to step outside of that and say, what are other possibilities? Mm. What are other possibilities for how we can view gender, mm-hmm. possibilities for how we can be ourselves? And it is only within that that we open up new new ways of being in the world, new ways of thinking, new ways of being ourselves Yeah, and quote unquote, win the game. Yeah. Mm. I love that because you say this, I, there's this idea of feeling enough as well, um, which resonated a lot with me. So how do you find your way to believing that you were enough? One of the things within myself that I realized, and I, I said earlier that my transition journey was very gentle, and that's true. And I did have these moments where, ironically, I felt like I wasn't trans enough mm. because I didn't hate myself enough. And how wild is that, right? That we've created this system where we have to hate ourselves in order to be ourselves. Mm, That that doesn't make sense to me. It's wild. But in the moment, I very much felt like, well, okay, I don't hate my chest. And so does it – am I taking on something that isn't mine if I wear a binder? Am I really trans if I, you know, sometimes don't want to to wear a binder or I don't want to always dress in this extremely masculine, kind of stereotypically masculine way? And I had to come to a place in my own life where – I realized that number one, there's no one way to be non-binary, that that doesn't look a particular way, and that it's ridiculous that we've set up a system where we need to hate ourselves in order to change things about our lives or our bodies. And so I wanted to bring that idea into, into gender magic. And one of the things that I talk a lot about with my clients is this idea of, and I'm going to use therapy terms for a second, internal versus external locus of control. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if you are going throughout your life, if you are going throughout a gender exploration or transition process, thinking that you are valid in your gender if you are gendered correctly 100% of the time Mm -hmm. or even a majority of the time. You are putting all of your self-efficacy, all of your feelings of validity, all your feelings of enoughness on a grocery store clerk or a stranger who is walking down the street who is not going to think about you when they go home, Mm -hmm. but you will be thinking about them. And that makes people feel powerless. So I invite people into thinking about this more internal sense of enoughness. Mm -hmm. How do you view exploring your gender as something that is for you so that you feel better in your own skin and you can walk around the world more authentically as yourself? And now we also know that the research says that having a support system is the number one mitigator of of distress, the number one thing that makes us feel better in that journey. But I want to invite people to think about that as the your chosen family, mm-hmm. the people who are who you know love you and yeah. accept you for who you are, or figure out how to find those people because they're out there. I promise. And those are the people that we see ourselves in, where Mm. we get validated in our identity, which has nothing to do with how you look at all. Mm -hmm. So it's a much more powerful place when our enoughness is, is us, it's within us, and it's also that small group of people that we choose to have around us who we know see us and love us for who we are. 
Mm. Oh, that was powerful. You hit me in the feels. Thank you. you. Mission accomplished. (laughs) All right, we're done here. Bye. (laughs) Mic drop. You you made us all cry. Um, I just love hearing the word enoughness inside. Yeah, so often that looking for that validation outside. Anyway, that's very good. That's a nugget to keep in my pocket. So thank you. (laughs) So welcome. There has been, and we know this, a backlash as transgender and non-binary individuals have become more visible. So why has that been the case? And how can that impact those individuals and the people that uh, support and love them? Yeah. Well, I think I can speak to the impact first. It's been bad. Yeah. Um, A lot of trans people are really scared. A lot of folks are are physically moving states Mm -hmm. because they no longer feel comfortable in the state that they live in, upending lives and kids and careers to uh, essentially go to an asylum state Mm -hmm. where they can be safe. Uh, We know that we've seen an uptick in anti-trans violence and anti-trans rhetoric. It's exhausting. Not only is it unsafe emotionally and often financially and definitely physically, um, it is just draining on people. And especially trans kids, which are, are really being targeted by a lot of this legislation that is coming out, legislation that's ba- based on bad research, um, to be honest. Yeah. I could go on and on about that. But it it just from a personal perspective, you know, I have a, a friend who can't go to a family reunion in Florida because they can't go to the bathroom. It's a, a trans man. And if they go in the men's bathroom, they could be arrested. If they go in the women's bathroom in an open carry state, they could be shot. Oh my God. So they they cannot go to Florida. So there are very, very tangible and real impacts. As to the the why of why this is happening, I think there are a lot of reasons, most of them based on fear, uh, fear of difference, xenophobia. And I talk about this in gender magic, but anytime there is a big cultural shakeup of something that we understand to be fundamental about the world, people people get scared in this kind of existential way. Mm-hmm. And we saw this happening many years ago, once upon a time, when this guy named Galileo came and said, hey, guess what? I think that the earth is not the center of the universe. I think that the earth actually revolves around the sun. And he was almost killed. He was taken to the Inquisition. He was forced to recant to avoid being killed and put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Because the Catholic Church said that the the earth is the center of the universe. And of course, obviously, look, you can see the sun that's moving around the earth. How ridiculous are you, Galileo? But the truth is that even though there was not fully the science there, we didn't have the, the telescopes or the instruments that we needed to fully support Galileo's claim, the instruments they did have were all pointing in that direction. The science was all pointing in that direction. He knew it was true. Uh, And I think we're in the same place now of the science is pointing us in the direction of, hey, the way that we have been thinking about biology and and gender actually doesn't take into account, number one, the vast uh, diversity of biology within our natural world, within humans. It also doesn't take into account the ways that we are, are culturally constructing gender, right? Remember I talked about the tone and the words used to a pregnant person will change how people will think about confidence and competence will change simply based on what gender you tell someone someone is. That's not based on science. (laughs) That's based on our ideas. And I think we're understanding more and more about the way those ideas have both positively and negatively impacted folks. Um, So I think that folks are scared because there is a, a shift happening in how we fundamentally think about who we are and our place in the universe. I'm curious your thoughts on what we as cisgender folks who are allies can do 
Well, in our current political moment, you know, talk to legislators, call them, go to protest, sign the things, do whatever you can to tangibly advocate for these anti-trans laws that have either passed or are trying to to get passed to to block those. And there are are many resources on how to do that, including you know, equality you know, whatever your state is, there there is an equality blank there. Uh, the Transgender Law Center is also a great website that kind of lists what's going on and can provide some actions. So those tangible things make a really big difference on a, a macro scale. On a micro scale, number one, you know, be friends with trans people. They're out there. <laughs> I promise. Like, integrate those people into your life. Diversify the people that you are surrounded with. And the great news is that the basics go a long way in affirming people. So using their name and their correct pronouns, which are the name and pronouns that they tell you. Mm -hmm. just, Just like you, just like any listener, right? The name and the pronouns you give are the ones that you want to be referred to. And watching your language for gendered language, I I have so many examples in PowerPoints of really strange things that we gender (laughs) in our society, like earplugs and tea and pens and Kleenex. It's it's bonkers. And once you see it, you can't Mm -hmm. unsee it. But one thing that we do is we gender language in a way that isn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Often, uh, I'll use greetings as an example. We'll say ladies and gentlemen or hey guys or hey ladies instead of a a gender neutral way to say that like, hi team, hi everybody, hi loves, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. Those little language shifts really do make a big difference in someone feeling included or someone feeling like, oh, this conversation isn't for me yeah. or I don't feel seen. Yeah. And they're, that's very low-hanging for, mm-hmm. for us to shift is our, our language. Mm-hmm. Those are, are some of the basics. You can also ask a transgender person in your life, how can I support you? What would feel good? And maybe it's I don't want to talk about gender. I I don't want to think about it anymore. I just want to, you know, hang out and on your porch or mm-hmm. go for a walk or whatever. Yeah. Um, or I want to tell you my story and I want you to listen. It really just depends. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah. I've been enjoying the journey. I have a seven-year-old. And so, you know, we've talked about gender differently than what I knew it of growing up. And now she will correct me if I point somebody else on the somebody on the street. I'll be like, "Oh, look, that lady over there." I'll like gender them, and she will say, "Mom, you don't know if they are she, he, or they or them." And so <laughs> it's just there's moments like that where I'm like, "Oh, okay, maybe things might be okay." <laughs> I love that. That's so beautiful. Uh, I have a, a friend that the other day uh, they were telling me about going to the the Barbie movie and they have a an eight or nine year old mm-hmm. and the the eight or nine year old cisgender boy as far as they know right now as far as everybody knows wore head to toe pink and his mom's shirt which was like a really low kind of back shirt and um, was loving it just mm-hmm. absolutely loving it and again meant nothing about his gender identity he was just enjoying like I'm wearing pink and going to the Barbie movie. I love it. So those are the moments when I'm like, there's hope. (laughs) One other quick story. So we went to a wedding this summer with my my daughter. It was one of the first weddings where she was like aware of being at a wedding. She went to the store and picked out some shoes. So she picked these like kind of high heel shoes. I let her pick whatever she wanted. And I said, she doesn't really like wearing dresses anymore, which is totally fine. And so she picked this like jumpsuit thing to wear. Like we're maybe just arrived at the wedding. She's been wearing the shoes for like 10 minutes. Why do people wear shoes like this? <laughs> Why are girls supposed to be so pretty all the time? Like she was just not having it. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> and my feet were hurting because my shoes. And I was like, why do we do this to ourselves? And it was just one of those moments where, yeah, she was like allowed to express 
how she felt and didn't didn't appreciate that she had to be pretty. And I was like, you don't have to be pretty. You do whatever you need to do that that's best for you. But it's like, yeah, these are the conversations you have to have. We have to have with our littles so that they can express themselves and be like, screw these shoes. <laughs> I don't want to wear these shoes. <laughs> oh, I love that. These conversations though also need to happen with adults too, because I know that like as someone who my form of masking is like being a chameleon. And so I will just wear whatever everyone else wears so that I don't stick out. And then I decided through, like I was talking to a friend and being open about my disability. Oh, I'm going to wear like really wild jumpsuits. And that's my style. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're so fire. Like that's the expression of my insides. Yes. And it's not these whatever random skirts, it's going to be trainers, jumpsuits. Like this is my expression of me, but it took me a long time. And a lot of people saying, you're such a chameleon. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's me hiding. Yeah. And so now this is me and I love it, but it, it took a lot of conversations and a lot of realization and deep thinking to go, well, what is the expression of me? And it doesn't have to be what everyone else's Mm -hmm. expression is. It sounded like that also took some experimentation. And I'm sure the first time that you wore a jumpsuit like that, out, you got a lot of data of how do I feel? Like, how are other people responding to me that you then built on to, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm just imagining a wardrobe full of colorful yes. like, jumpsuits, which is my dream, <laughs> my dream. Um, but yeah, that that's it, right? How do we notice when we do feel good and how do we build on that? By Heather wearing these jumpsuits, I was like, what's this jumpsuit? And then I stole it, but not, but not really even realizing that Heather had like, this is the first time I've heard her talk about going through this internal work of deciding to wear these jumpsuits. I just thought she saw them at the store one day and put them on. And I was like, those look cool. Anyway, so then it shifted my expression. And for me, it was like my body changed over the years and I've, I'm in a bigger body and these jumpsuits fit comfortably and I and I feel good in them and I do have lots of amazing conversations people come up to me and they same thing to Heather and we're also sisters but then we do this podcast and they're like oh the Taylor sisters in their jumpsuits and so it becomes this like conversation point her expressing herself and I think seeing the joy in her wearing these jumpsuits and showing me the patterns that she's picking and and like really enjoying fashion in a way I'd never seen her enjoy fashion before made me open up my geez Heather made me open up my um mind to not having to be in a certain spot anymore. So now I have all these like really fun, wild shirts and like jumpsuits and we are very colorful folks. Gosh, I love this so <laughs> much. And I think, I mean, y'all are just illustrating my entire work here and, and how beautiful it is that Heather, you took the leap to say, I'm going to experiment with this jumpsuit thing and, oh, I like it. And, oh, look, people are drawn to me in a different way. And Sarah, you were like, wow, that gave me permission to explore this in myself. And you also had people who were coming to you say, and I don't know about you, but when I see somebody who's showing up in that way, they're electric. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a bright jumpsuit or, or whether it's all black, it really doesn't matter. It's about them showing up authentically as themselves. There is an energy to that that other people notice that other people who are also on that journey are drawn to. So it's much easier to find your people. Mm -hmm. And you are giving other people permission to do the same thing. None of this is about us as individuals. This is about collectively, how can we live in a world where everybody feels that they have permission and the audacity to be themselves? And how does that change our world? I love that. And again, going back to that lens of joy, how do we shift the focus of support and research and our experiences, especially for transgender and non-binary individuals from that place of suffering or being quiet and silent to celebrating joy? I, I talk about this orientation towards or running away from as a way to think about this. Mm. And I I use a research study from Emily and Amelia Nagoski's book, Burnout, in which there are are two groups of people in this experiment. They're given basically coloring sheet mazes where they have to get a mouse through the little maze. One of them has a cheese at the end and the other has a big scary owl at the edge of the paper who's like chasing the mouse. And they found that the people who had the, the cheese 
coloring sheet maze made it through the maze faster and with less distress. What does that tell us? It says that when we are focused on what we are moving towards versus what we are moving away from, we are in a different part of our brain. We are in the part of the brain that is more curious that, and you can't have play without curiosity, right? So the curiosity is such a core. Um, we are in the part of our brain, the front part that can make decisions easier. We have more access to um, a, a little bit broader uh, of emotions. We're more grounded versus when we are in a, a place where we are running away from something and focused on that, we're in our survival brain. It's essential functions. It is in our sympathetic nervous system, right? We're heightened in a way that isn't generally helpful. So one thing that I teach people to do is start to create a vision of the life and the you that you want. Mm. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's a draft, right? A draft. <laughs> um, just some ideas of what could you imagine for yourself if you took away the barriers yeah. as a, a thought experiment? Mm -hmm. And how can we start moving towards that person? Because that is a much more powerful place to be as we are exploring ourselves. And one of the big shifts there is viewing, like I said earlier, gender exploration and transition, if that's right for you, as a part of self-growth. Mm -hmm. Because self-growth is not something we typically do from this distressed place. It, it's typically something we do because we are hopeful of a better future. It's mm. amazing. Before we wrap up, we want to just, if there are any one last thing that you want to share with us that you might not have got to say, or something you want to leave um, our listeners with before we wrap up. You know, honestly, this was such a good conversation that I feel complete in this. Oh, that's great. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I do want to know where can people find you? You know, can they follow you online and where can we find your book? Yeah. So you can find Gender Magic everywhere books are sold. As always, you know, check out your local bookstore, ask them about me. You can also find out more information about that at gendermagic.com. My Instagram is a hub. You can find me there at the Ray McDaniel. That's Ray R A E. From there, you can find my therapy practice. You can find my speaking work. You can sign up for my newsletter, which I really encourage you to do, and uh, give me a follow and a shout out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us to share the joy and and the play and expand our brains. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Ray is the best. Thank you, Ray. That was a such a good conversation. I just felt so um, felt like a good therapy. It, it kind of did. <laughs> well, there's moments where they like, oh, and then when you did this, Heather. That, yeah, involved, that made Heather, and I was like, yeah, Heather, you did do that for me. Like, thank you, sister. And like the whole night after that we interviewed Ray, I was like, yeah, what a, wow, I'm so happy that that happened. And Heather explored her her fashion and her feelings of how she represents herself. And, and I got to, in turn, get to do that too. And like, what an amazing thing we have. Anyway, I was, uh, it was, it was good. Thank you. So Ray is a very good coach. So <laughs> Clearly. Go, go and go connect and with Ray. Explore and explore Ray's. Um, website and connect with them immediately. Yeah. It was great for us. <laughs> Thank you. We got a lot out of that. <laughs> I hope you all got a lot out of it too. <laughs> not just us. I hope so. This weekend in Edmonton is Folk Fest, which is like the best weekend of, of the summer. I love going to Folk Fest. But yesterday I went and I had forgot my phone in the car. And so I went for the night without my phone. And it was a moment where I could see things different around me. I was like seeing interactions that people were having. I was seeing the joy people were having watching music and just being with people that, you know, we sometimes only run into people at Folk Fest once a year. We see them and we get to reconnect. And it made me realize like I really need to have moments like that where I just disconnect. I put my phone somewhere else and I don't even have yeah. like because typically you go to Folk Fest and you text who, who's coming, who's here, who can I meet? And you're like trying to run around and like see all the people. But last night I just walked around and I ran into who I ran into and it was amazing. So I recommend everybody try that at some point. That's very fun. You know, thinking about that joy 
I think for myself, I find that I often, because my mind is so hyperactive, we talked about this before, that I often just like fill that space with work. Mm-hmm. And so this weekend I have um, a big backyard. So our sister Becky is going to come over and we're going to sit in the backyard and we're going to eat. I finally found pierogies after two months of searching for it. This is my joy. I love pierogies so much and I've not been able to find them for two months. In Toronto, like, oh, sorry, let me preface. I can find lots of pierogies, but all of them have cheese on it and I can't eat cheese pierogies, but there's normally other kinds. And I, and only, only a couple days ago did I find them and I found ones with like caramelized onion and it's non-dairy and it's so delicious. So, um, our sister Becky is going to come over with Ramona so we can sit in the backyard with the dog and we're going to play easy brain free games, eat pierogies. And then I'm like a 20 minute walk to the beach. So we're going to walk to the beach and have a little beach time. And so I think there is, yeah, I I think there is uh, something really special about being able to disconnect and be with the people that you love Mm -hmm. and just have a moment of, I'm just going to exist in this moment and just relax. And I think for me, it has to be with other people sometimes. Um, Or like last weekend, I realized I just had a no person day and it was an awesome day. So I think sometimes having those times are really important for us to take care of our mental health Mm -hmm. and just listen to your body when it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe you don't want to do anything today and you should see no people. And then you listen to that and then your life often does feel better after that. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and bastard by Tony Bow. Our theme song is by our brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram, TikTok, Threads, I don't know, all the other places, and Twitter at, oh, sorry, X. X. What? <laughs> uh, at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-I-N-S Podcast. You can also go to our website, brainspodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Heather. And I'm your host, Sarah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Brenda.